Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Continuing the study in, in Galatians 2, and I, I got to be honest, this morning we're doing some heavy lifting, okay? This is going to be really interactive. Um, there, there's going to be some big terms. where there's, This isn't one that you can uh, go into autopilot and kind of tune out. Hopefully you never do that, but uh, please definitely don't do that this morning. Um, we, this whole idea of this series is Jesus plus, right? Because Paul's, Paul's dealing with, with what? Do we remember the context? Do you remember what's going on? Anybody? People were adding, right? It was, so the, the, the question that we asked last week was, Jesus plus what equals salvation? What's that? Nothing. Yeah, you're right. Nice job. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's Jesus, right? So Paul would, what was going through, and you see it acts over and over and over again, what, what God was doing through he and through Barnabas' ministry. And they would set up these churches that people would come to know Christ. And then you had this group, the Judaizers, right? Remember, they would come in and they would say, as Pastor Michael was talking about, they would say, uh, yeah, Paul was just watering it down. He was making it too easy so that, you know, you would be converted. Really, if you really want to have salvation, if you want to have a life with God, yes, Jesus paid for your sin and you have to believe that. But you also have to keep these rules and regulations that we as Jews have to keep. And you're a Gentile. Did God ever call a Gentile to keep those rules and regulations? No, no, he didn't. Right? He did not do that. But they were trying to impose upon that onto them. And it, was, it became this works thing, right? And if you remember in chapter 6, when we started there where Paul was like, you know, I apologize for you know, how big my letters are getting because I'm just so, don't do this. This is, this is wrong, right? So... Before we jump in, you saw the illustration with the kids, right? It's just this idea of, of atonement. We saw that the, the priest would literally have to place their hand. And if you guys uh, come check out uh, Bible Fellowship, his pastor Todd's going through Leviticus right now, and it ties in so crazy well how, how God does this stuff. Um, but the, the idea of sacrifices, and, and we looked, we saw, we saw the illustration of the blanket with the pillows underneath it, right? So the atonement. This idea of covering of sin. So what they would have to do is they would have to present their bull, present their, you know, their ram, their dove, whatever it is they had, right? So before Christ, a sacrifice offered atonement or a covering of sin. After Christ's sacrifice, the sin would no longer be covered over. It would be cleansed, literally washed away. So once they killed this animal, they kind of had to do it again. It, it, was a rich, it, it had to continuously happen because the sins themselves were covered over, not, not cleansed, not washed. Covered over as opposed to washed. This is really important, okay, because we're, we're going to go through some big words like justification, sanctification, and it's going to be really easy to go, eh, I'm good, I'm, I'm tapping out on that, but, but, but plug through this because I think that this is really powerful stuff. 
And this particular chapter of Scripture can be taken out of context and manipulated and turned into where we find a lot of our Christian society today. And you'll see what I'm talking about a little bit later on. But before we jump in there, let's, let's identify some key terms. Okay, when you leave this morning, you're going to know these three terms. Say justification. justification. Justification is finding God. Okay, if I'm justified, that's the title of the message today. I'm justified before God. I am made right before the God of the universe. I have been justified. Justification has taken place. I've found God. God has presented himself to me. I have accepted his gospel, right? I have accepted his gift of grace and mercy and love, and now I have a life with him. I now am with God, period, done. I'm with God. The, the second step, you see, is sanctification. Say sanctification. A little louder. Sanctification. Okay, cool. Sanctification is following God, okay? This is going to sound a little crazy. Following God to a Jew was different than following God to a Gentile. Following God for a guy is different than following God for a girl. Our roles are different. The sanctification process, the process of following God, can look different depending on what context you're in. What nationality you are. Like, what, 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 okay, God has presented his word to you. This is how you will follow me. But if you're a Jew, the law that's here, you're still going to keep that law. Now, remember, atonement law, atonement, right? Okay? Covering of sin, Jesus has now died. Do we still got to kill rams and goats and doves and all that? Do Jews still have to do that? No. You sure? I'm just kidding. You're right. Absolutely. Okay. So they don't have to because that particular law, that portion of the law, has now been changed through Christ. And this is the, this is the really important part. This is how people can take that pit of truth and then turn it into now we can do whatever the heck we want because there is no more law. No, 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 no. There is still law. The Jews are called by God to live certain way forever. When God says forever, he kind of means it. He doesn't mean till next Tuesday or when I feel like it. He said forever. So they as Jews are still to live that way. There still is law. But the segment of law that justified, right? That made us right before God is now different. How is it different? What? How, okay, so how is it different through Jesus, Miss Jesse? Exactly. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, okay? So because Jesus is now the perfect sacrifice, there's no more need for the sacrificial system for the atonement of sin. The sins, there's, there's nothing to cover over. Jesus has paid for it all. The rug, the blanket is flat now. Doesn't mean we don't still follow him. That's sanctification. Remember when I talked about heavy lifting this morning? There's going to be a lot here, okay? You guys, you guys ready? Are you ready? Yeah. All right, cool. Okay, third word, antinomianism. Say antinomianism. Okay, this is a crazy, crazy, crazy word. Yeah, you're good, you're good, Miss I don't worry about it. <laughs> antinomianism. It's got like 47 vowels. Here's the idea. Grace, good. Law, 
bad. How many times have you heard that? That's wrong. Antinomianism is incorrect. Here's what happens in the church. And this has happened over and over and over again throughout the church history. We are made righteous before God. We are justified before the God of the universe through Christ's sacrifice, through Jesus dying on that cross. Nothing we can bring to the party makes us right before God. Period. He did it. Antinomianism says, well, because that's true, there's no need for the law. There's no need. Jesus paid it all. Sweet. I can do whatever I want. And now I have this licensure to do whatever, whenever, with whomever I want. Because Jesus paid it all. So sweet. Do you see how that creeps in? And that's where the church finds itself over and over and over again because of a misunderstanding of this chapter. Because people don't apply this chapter correctly, that's where a lot of this leads. Because they think no more law, when it's not no more law. It's Christ is paid for the sin of the world. There's no more need for atonement. You tracking? Does that all make sense? I know that's a big, long buildup, but we've got to make sure we understand that before we go any further. Brings us to the key principle. Believers are justified by Christ's sacrifice, not works. What does justified mean? What's that? They believe. They found God. There's a relationship with God. Okay? We are justified with Christ because of His sacrifice, not our works. Has nothing to do with our works. Boop. There we go. Cool. Wait, are we tracking? All right. All that being said, we're going to cover four principles of the justified gospel. Justified meaning we found God. Have a relationship with God. So you guys, Galatians chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of the revelation, because of a revelation, and set before them though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running nor had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery... To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And for those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also with me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to, be the, circum they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Verse 11, But when Cephas came to Antioch, 
I opposed him to his face. That's Peter. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Anybody lost? Anybody? It's cool. There's a lot of words in there, right? Remember, he's continuing the argument from chapter 1. Do you remember? He's responding to these guys who they were questioning his motives. They were questioning his authenticity. They were going right at Paul. So he's made his case for the gospel and what it is in chapter 1. And now he's moving into some case studies of what's happened. He starts with the Jerusalem council, which we read. And then he moves on to a later situation with Peter in Antioch. Don't worry, we're going to unpack this more directly. The, the first thing that you see as we start to unpack this is it's the Spielberg principle again. You guys remember this from last week? Okay? It's so funny how Paul does this, okay? The gospel message is directed by God. He calls the shots. Paul pointed out again that his message was from God and approved by the church, by God's leadership. So he stated that in the beginning of Galatians 1. He said, ho, 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 hold on a second. I came from God. Jesus Christ, the king of all, told me what to do. I'm not coming here just because I'm some dude. I didn't get sent by some guy. I met Christ. He changed my life. And now I'm sent by him to declare the gospel to you. After he continues that argument, he begins chapter 2. Because remember, Paul's not writing this letter going, chapter 2, right? <laughs> He's continuing this communication with them. He brings it right back to that again. He says, after 14 years, I went up again. This is the Jerusalem council. I went up because of a revelation and set before them that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. He's saying, guys, I got the gospel from Christ. I took the gospel to God's leadership. And God's leadership said, yeah, I'm on point. 
I'm directed by God. I checked. I dotted all my I's, crossed all my T's. I'm following the God of the universe. So what did we say about directors last week? Do you guys remember? What do they do with casting? Do you remember that? Anybody? It's totally cool. It was like a week ago. Like 87 things have happened since then. When a director is preparing something they're going to put out, whether it be a television show, a movie, what, what have you, a play, they have casting, right? We all know what I mean by that. So what happens is, is these actors will then come in and they'll put what they think is the, their, their articulation of the part, right? They'll stand before the director and they'll say, da 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 here are my lines. And the director, who knows the entire story, looks and says, yeah, that's, that, that fits. That's, that's what we're looking for. That fits the story I'm creating. Remember that the God of the universe has picked you to do that. The God of the universe has said, you're my person to play this role at this time right now. That's incredible. God said, you are here in Ocala, Florida, in that town you guys live that might as well be Georgia. You are here now to reach the community in which I've called you. I've prepared you to do it. I've called you to do it. I've given you my gospel message, which we saw the power of last week. And it changed all of, our, all of our lives in this room. And I've equipped you to reach the community in which you're called. Do it. Go do it. So how are we doing with that? We ask this question, and we'll continue to ask it. How are we doing with reaching our community? I've got to tell you guys, powerful week. Powerful week. I know of two circumstances where people that we are interacting with on a regular basis that are not, they do not attend this body. I don't know that I, I don't know the, the other person personally, but I know the person that, that I had the interaction with and get to pray with those folks. There wasn't some, you know, get down on your knees and, you know, this person had an altar call, but, but we, we had the opportunity to interact with our community. We did it. We did what God called us to do. And it was awesome. And it came through heartache in both of their lives. And we don't know what's going to happen. But we know that we were called by God. We prayed with them. And we're going to continue to pour into their lives. Check your heart right now. Where are you at with that stuff? Because God didn't give you the gospel just for you. You remember we said that. The gospel's to then go take out into the nations. What are we doing? The next section you'll find, I call it the context principle. This, this is in verses 3 through 10. The gospel meets a person where they are. It doesn't change their race, nationality, or gender. Our sanctification looks different from others based on our context. We alluded to this earlier. You see this in verses 3 through 10, right? It says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. 
yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. Verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel may be preserved for you. What is Paul saying there? He's saying, I, I have a converted person named Titus, a Greek. Okay? Titus was not circumcised. Why? Louder? He was not a Jew. Okay? So Paul is saying right here, but even Titus, who I brought with me to this council, he came with me. That's, that's what we're talking about. You guys read, read Jerusalem Council. That's what we read this morning, right? Came in. You're here. He did not get circumcised. This is, this is a leader in the church, okay? Did not get circumcised. And you know why he didn't get circumcised? Look at verse 5. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel may be preserved for you. Paul circumcised Timothy. It's because he's Jewish. Didn't circumcise Titus, though, because he wasn't. And he did it for the gospel. He did it so the gospel will continue to go forth. Because as, as Peter um, had earlier when we read that, not going to put a yoke on someone that's not theirs to bear. God did not call the Gentile to live as the Jew. He didn't say it. But that's sanctification. Do you see it? Sanctification looks different. Paul is calling that out to them and pointing out the fact that they did this so that the gospel would continue. So we don't have any people, as we said before, of Jewish descent here that I'm aware of. I, I've interacted with very few Jewish folks in my life, quite frankly. So why the heck do I care about this passage? What, why, what does it matter? Because I'm looking at a group of people that are guys and girls. And the guys in this room have a different role than the girls do. Both are equal, equal in value. We both have roles to do. Older women are to interact with the younger women, and if the younger women dress in a way that they shouldn't dress, it's not one of the older guys' job to go talk to them about that because that's wrong. That's, that's a direct application of this principle. But they're, the women are called to do that. If a guy starts acting like a knucklehead, one of us older guys better grab a hold of that guy and talk to that guy. Being justified by Christ didn't change who Titus was. Being justified by Christ didn't change Timothy. One was still a Greek, one was still a Gentile. So how are you doing in the context God's called you into? Because he's called you into that context. We started talking about this just a minute ago in the last principle. God could have placed you. He's the God of the universe. He could have placed you anywhere in the world in the history of time, and he has you here now. Just think about that for a second. That's insane. We're in this moment of time, thousands of years, he said, you're here, boom. I'm going to declare my life through your life here, now. Not 50 years ago. Not currently in Africa not 250 years ago in Russia, but no, right now in America, in Ocala, Central Florida, today. Why? Because he knows what he's doing. 
He's empowered you. He's equipped you. He's given you the Holy Spirit. Did not change your context. He created the context. Your time is now. The time to be used of God and to actually walk with Him and interact with the community is now. It's not 10 years later or when I did it five years ago. It's right now. Where are we at with interacting with God? Right now in the community in which He's called us. The next point is verses 11 through 15. I call it the acceptance principle. The heart of the gospel is acceptance. God will even accept FSU fans. I know, they're an obnoxious bunch. Any FSU fans in the room? Sweet, we can just bash them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Look at this section of, of, of Scripture. See, then he, he transitions from the Jerusalem Council, and now he talks about this interaction that he had with Peter. And if you know anything about Paul, Paul, was, uh, Paul walked into a room you knew. Okay? If somebody was saying something boneheaded or doing something boneheaded, Paul didn't beat around the bush. He'd walk up and he'd tell you what's up. This is Peter. This is walked on water Peter. Okay? If there's anybody who you're going to get an autograph in, in this time, it's, just, it's probably Peter, right? But Paul says, um, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Peter was wrong and I called him on it. That's how you should read that. For before certain men came with James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Okay? Nobody says anything negative about Barnabas. <laughs> Paul's like, even Barnabas was pulled into this knuckleheadedness. What was the problem? Peter's interacting with Gentiles who have come to know Christ. They are not Jews. They do not live like Jews. They were not called to live like Jews. Their sanctification was different. They were justified before Christ. Peter was not sitting with them eating pork ribs. Peter was a Jew. He was still living as if he was a Jew, but he was eating with them. He was interacting with them. He was actually helping them to feel accepted. Imagine you don't know who God is. You interact with God for the first time. He tells himself who he is, and you, you fall before you say, this Jesus is amazing. I give my life to him. And now you're learning about his entire story, all of the Hebrew scriptures, all of this history of what God has done and what he's done through these Jewish this Jewish people, but you're not Jewish. So there's a little bit of like, I'm not really in the club, but, but Jesus said he paid for my sin, and, and, and I'm here. I, I'm justified before Christ. I'm righteous before God. And Peter, this man who walked with him, is right there, and he's telling me that I know who Jesus is. Look at how great this is. And then the other Jewish people show up, and Peter won't even sit down with me now. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? The heart of the gospel message is acceptance. God knows what he bought. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. And he bought us anyway. That's justification. He paid for all of our sin. He doesn't leave us there. He continues the sanctification process, right? The following of him. 
But Peter was actually holding back the work of God because he was more worried about his reputation and who he was going to be seen with. This is the guy who baptized Cornelius and his family. This is a man who knows Christ, walked with Christ, actually saves, and you, God used him to save someone. Did you see it? That's who this is. And Paul says, I stood in front of his face. He stood condemned. He was wrong, and I called him on it. And not only did Peter's sin cause trouble for those Gentiles, it caused trouble for the other believers as well. The other Jewish believers, you know, look at Barnabas. Barnabas followed suit. This body has gone through some of this. Within this body, we started a relaunch of this, of this church body here, this body of believers a year ago. There were traditions. Some were absolutely gospel-centered and some weren't. As we began the process of walking through what God was calling us to do within this body, some people got hurt. Some people that moved here got hurt. Some people that were already here got hurt. And we're still feeling the pain of some of that hurt. The gospel message is about accepting the fact that he bought us all. He bought us. And when we get caught up in our own frustration and our own anger, don't let that bleed into the next person. Interact with that person. Paul went and talked to Peter, and he dealt with it. And good came out of it. Where are you at with that? Is there any frustration or hurt that you're harboring? Are you not dealing with stuff? Deal with it. He's God. That blanket's flat. He's paid for your sin. Don't allow it to eat away. The heart of his message is acceptance. The next one, finally, um, verses uh, 16 through 21. I call it the smooth rug principle. Paul closes with these words. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The smooth rug principle is that we're made right before God by Christ and Christ alone. We can't, don't miss this, we cannot replace finding God with following God. It doesn't work that way. This is the passage of Scripture that gets tweaked and turned into, I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, because Jesus paid it all. I have been crucified, here, verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. You will hear people say that, and they will use that as a license to do what they want. The point here, this is the huge misunderstanding, and this is why we had to lay the groundwork for justification and sanctification. They're two different things. Justification is what? Finding God, right? Sanctification is what? Following God. Yes, you rock. 
Those are two different things. Here's the issue here. What they're doing is people that read this passage and change it, they're turning that into, into justification. They're turning it around. You cannot replace finding God with following God and expect it to make sense. We are called by God to walk with him, the sanctification process. We can stub our toes, be boneheads, make bad choice after bad choice. He still paid it all. But that doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. Doesn't mean antinomianism is correct. It's wrong. We can't just do what we want, when we want, how we want. Because you know what? Then you got to check yourself about whether or not you ever interacted with God. Did you ever really accept the gift of grace that he offers? Atonement law was changed in that. Not the rest of the law. Not the sanctification process. The justification process. Paul then moves on and he hits the hammer right here. Nail on the head, verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What he's saying there is that if Christ had to die and I could have been made righteous through following the law, it makes no sense. Christ died because he had to to pay for the sins of the world. Because what was happening before was a bunch of lumpy rugs, a bunch of lumpy blankets. God used it. It's not wrong. It's God. He's the one who instituted it. We're not, we're not saying it's wrong. He did it. But he made it more perfect when he took the sin and threw it away, cleansed it, washed it. It was gone. It doesn't exist anymore. The rug's smooth now. What are you doing with that? Do you believe you're righteous before God? Do you believe that? His word says you are. If you've given your life over to him, if you've accepted that sacrifice that he made, you're righteous before the God of the universe. Not because of anything you did. Not because of a single work you did. Sitting in this chair this morning had nothing to do with it. Accepting what Christ did, did. You're righteous before the God of the Most High. That's awesome. That's incredible. That's life-changing. That's what he's called us to. To take that joy and to share it with the world. The joy that we are righteous with the one who created us. So closing, why do you care? Being justified before God must happen before you start the sanctification process. This is, this is a biggie. Coming to church, putting money in the plate, saying hi, waving at people, being a good person, quote unquote, that is what many people would call the sanctification process. But if you don't hear anything else, hear this. If you think you're doing the sanctification process and you never were justified by God because you never accepted his gift, you're off. Depart from me, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness is what he said. And the people that are talking to him in that moment are the people that, whoa, 
I, I cast out demons in your name. I did stuff. But they were never justified before the God of the universe. They were never made righteous. Second is that doing ministry without relationship with him is sad and unfruitful. Doing stuff without a connection to the God of the universe, it's just sad. It's not fruitful. It's meaningless. You're wasting your time. You just are. Doing good things, that's great. How about following God? It's a lot more important. Acceptance is at the heart of the gospel. And the law has a role in the lives of his people, both Jew and Gentile. The law is not for justification. The law is following God now. Does that make sense? You guys got justification? We got sanctification? Antinomianism? That one's Leah. Now that you know that stuff, check yourself. Have you found God? Have you accepted his gift of grace and mercy? Because if you haven't, do it now. If you have, how's your sanctification process going? You are right before God, but that doesn't give you license to live how you want, when you want, how you want. Understand that his role for you is before you. Take part and play it the way he created you for Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.